is, um, thank you, Pastor Craig and Pastor Trin, for giving me the chance to speak. It's really cool. It's a privilege, and um, I hope you're aware of that. It's a privilege to be able to take this platform. Um, and yeah, I just want to give you a bit of credit for that. And I was thinking about this this morning. I don't know if everyone's aware, but this is a pretty special morning in the the life of Revive, not just because you're here, but, but there's some other stuff that's going to happen after I finish speaking, which is really, really exciting. But I think for you guys, you bring people up around you, and that's fantastic. You know, you bring up other leaders, and you encourage them and grow them, and I know me and Gina are a product of that, and there's other leaders here as well that we'll talk about soon, and that's fantastic. And I was thinking about it, and there's one thing that stuck out for me this week in particular about that. And um, if you're not aware, I'm a pastor's kid. I, I grew up in a church in Wellington. In Tawa, it's quite a small church even compared to, to our, our humble place here. Um, and my mum was, she's pastoring at the moment. She was telling me this week, I think, that um, ever since COVID, they've gone from maybe 30 or 40 people down to about 20 ish. And she's a little bit worried and like, yeah. But anyway, I grew up in church and, and it was my Sunday morning um, every day of my, every week of my life. And well, it still is, which is great. Um, but I watched my dad as the, the sort of senior pastor of our church every week prepare a message to speak. And um, he did that on a Saturday night, and it was Saturday night fever, right? And that was what I grew up understanding to be how you prepared a message. And so I just wanted to say that the thing that I've learned this morning and I reflected on this week from Pastor Craig and Pastor Trin was that actually you don't have to wait to Saturday night till like one in the morning to prepare a message. You can prepare well in advance, and we're probably all better off for it, and it's a good outcome. So thank you, guys. It's good. Everyone else will be appreciative too. Anyway. This morning's week two of I Deserve. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Dave. Lovely to meet you. Um, come and have a coffee after. This would be great. Um, this morning, we're talking about rejection. Who enjoys being rejected? Who hasn't been rejected ever in their life? Seth, I like it, man. You're the legend. <laughs> but it's 100% that every, every person in this room can relate to, like that feeling of rejection, right? Whether it's, um, you know, the, the classic, you were the last person picked in the sports team at school, Yeah. Yeah, it's not my fault you couldn't kick a ball or throw a tennis ball or hit something. That's, that's your fault. Even you go work on you before you come crying to me, eh? But, um, you know, there, there's that, that sort of rejection. There's um, being left off the invite for a party. Anyone relate to that one? Or that real awkward situation where everyone's talking about some wedding and you're not going and you're like, oh, man, I thought we were close. Shoot. Um, being passed over for a job, your dream job, you've got the CV lined up for it, you've got the experience, you have an amazing interview, you've got your references lined up, you kill the interview, everything feels real good, and still it's not your name that they write on the contract at the end of the day. You're like, oh man, like, what do I have to do? It cuts you deep, that sort of thing, right? Um, what about being, um, this is, I don't know if everyone can relate to this one, but being dumped by that person who you were like romantically thinking about before you'd even like manage to like ask them out on a date. <laughs> and you're just like, man, I had everything planned. I had the wedding, the, the venue, honeymoon location, where we're gonna live, how many cats, dogs, children, cars, everything planned out. And we didn't even get past like, hi, would you like to have a coffee with me? <laughs> Stings, eh? <laughs> Rough. What about what about and, and I know that there'll be people um, who can and, relate to this one in particular, you send a friend request to someone on Facebook or Instagram or something like that, and it never gets answered. <laughs> or, or you send a message to someone, you know, on the Facebook Messenger, and you can see that someone's seen it. <laughs> and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for the response that never comes, and it sucks. But we're... <laughs> 
there's, there's this sting, eh, that comes with rejection when you're, like, trying to engage or feeling like you could be a part of it or, or, or something like that, and, and it hurts. It cuts us deep, right? And it's, it's not nice. It's pretty hard to avoid in life. That's the reality. Um, but, yeah, we, we have to sort of deal with that all the time. And this morning, I want to talk about rejection and how, um, actually, the, the reality is that I, I probably do deserve rejection. Scary thought, right? But good news story, going to spoil the end of the, the message already, because of Jesus, I'm accepted anyway. Cool? That's the, the, well, we could stop right now, I've said it, but you know, like, this morning, this morning we're talking about the fact that the reality is that maybe there's things in my life, well not maybe, definitely, there's things in my life that I've done, and I'll probably keep on doing, that deserve rejection, and sometimes that's from people, but you know, definitely when you come and talk about God, that there's things that I do, and I have done, that definitely are not what He wants me to do. And I can look at that and I go, actually, because of that, I do deserve to be kept away. But thankfully, because of Jesus, I can be accepted regardless. And I think, like, when I say it's a special morning to be in church, if you get that and you can get that in your life, if you haven't got it already, then this is, this is a great morning, right? If you get that one thing in your head, in your heart, then it will transform you forever. I'm going to pray and we're going to talk a little bit. Don't you close your eyes and we'll just, like, make sure that this is all about Jesus this morning. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that it is to be in your house together, God. And, and I guess given the last sort of uh, 12 months, it's not something we should take lightly. And God, we just thank you that you're here, you're amongst us, that during this time of worship, there was like, I don't know, there was something about what you were doing in this place that was powerful and special, God. And God, I, I just thank you that right now there's a message that's about to be delivered that um, can speak life. And Father God, I pray that every ear that hears it, Father God, will be encouraged and, and be able to get closer to you as a result of it. Father God, that people's lives will be transformed in this place. God, that's not my words, but it's your words speaking through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So <clears throat> today we're talking about um, a guy called Zacchaeus. I don't know if you've ever heard about him, Zach, in the Bible, story that um, involves Jesus, which is quite good. And, and this is a dude that really did the whole thing of being completely deserving of rejected. He was rejected. Deserving of rejected. Man. Deserving of rejection, and he was rejected, but he met Jesus and had his life transformed in an instant. And what we're going to do is quite simple. We're going to read through a bit of the Bible, verse by verse, and talk about it a little bit. So if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10 is where we're going to be heading. Um, and I'm excited about this. It's, it's, a, it's a cool series that Pastor Craig sort of shared out, and um, I hope that you get a lot out of it. So the first um, couple of verses of Luke 19 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Okay, let's have a break. So let's talk about the fact that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. My understanding of what tax collection was like back then is, is that it's significantly different than what we have now. And, you know, now, now we have, like, the IRD, and they come and take what is due, and then if they've taken too much, they give some back to you, and if they haven't taken enough, they might come and take some more from you. But it's pretty easy to understand what's going on. Back then, um, they were living under the oppression of the Roman sort of overlords, if you imagine, like the evil overlords, and tax collection was a bit of a dark heart. Um, you might like to think of it, the, the Romans probably thought of it more like the IRD situation, where they say, we want tax from people, we're going to take that, that's cool. Um, but I think the reality is, for the people who were living on the ground oppressed by the Romans, it was probably more like a mafia extortion setup. So what happened is that um, the Romans would appoint a tax collector, and then that tax collector was made to be a tax collector. You could, get, you could do a bit of bribery to get 
get yourself a license, if you like, to be a tax collector. And you went around and collected the taxes for the Romans, but you didn't get paid by the Romans to collect taxes. Your living was what you also took on top of the tax from the people. So you'd go, okay, you owe me 10 bucks, Craig. That will be your tax this week. Um, but I'm actually going to take 15 or 20 just because I need to get some new tires for my car. So I'm just like going around taking a little bit extra from everyone. And so tax collectors, you'd understand, were not overly favorable in the eyes of the people around them. Not that the IRD is favorable right now, either, you know. But it was worse, you know, because you would be like on your last dollar and then say, oh, actually, um, you still owe me a dollar because yeah, I need some food tonight, and you'd be hungry, you know? And, and you'd understand that if that was your career choice as a tax collector in this period of time, then people would hate you because they would be left with nothing, and you'd be sitting there with everything. Um, and so Zacchaeus was a tax collector, um, and the, I guess the thing that adds like a little bit of insult to the fact that he's a tax collector is he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So he was the, the boss of the tax collectors, if you like. And so I'd imagine he'd be taking money off people and then taking money off his tax collectors and he'd just be like getting bigger and bigger, be the big man in town. And he would have just been loathed by every person that saw him, right? Absolutely despised. Chief tax collector. And then it goes on to say, and he was wealthy. Great. So now you've got a tax collector who is hated and then he's wealthy. Whoever looks like... I've, I've, um, uh, me and Gina moved from Tuako um, in August last year. We now live right, right up in the city, and we managed to rent a, a house to live in a place called Westmere. Anyone ever heard of Westmere? Yeah, okay. It's buried between Herm Bay and Point Chevalier. Chev, I won't say Chevalier, because I can't get it out right. <laughs> um, it's, it's between Herm Bay and Point Chev, and it's a lovely suburb, I have to say, and it's a privilege living there. Um, but there's something that I have discovered is that there are a lot of people in Auckland who are very, very wealthy, right? And um, we sit on our front deck and we can watch people driving past and like their Aston Martins and their Porsches and their Audis and all that sort of stuff. And like, I don't know where this money comes from. And I wanted to contextualise for you this morning when we talk about Zacchaeus being wealthy is that we need to understand what wealth is in the context of New Zealand, right? So I did some research and there's some, there's some thinking out there that says if you earn over $200,000 a year, you're wealthy. I was like, okay, that sounds cool, but... It doesn't really feel like, well, it's a lot of money, but it's, it doesn't really sound wealthy wealth. And I did a little, more, little bit more digging, and I think I landed on the comparator that would let us understand Zacchaeus. For, to be uber-wealthy in New Zealand, I'm going to say uber-wealthy is what we're talking about here. Uber-wealthy in New Zealand means that you have a net worth greater than $3.9 million. Okay? That's, that's uber-wealthy in, in New Zealand, right? And I want you to think about that in the context of Zacchaeus. Now, if anyone's here like net worth $3.9 million, Pastor Craig would be pretty keen to understand for your tides later on, but um, <laughs> like that's a lot of money, right? If you, if you want to contextualize how wealthy Zacchaeus was in the Bible, think about that. He's got a lot of stuff. He's got the flash clothes, he's got the flash cars, he's got the big house, he's got the holiday retreat and the Coromandel for summer and the one down in the mountain in Queenstown for winter so he can go skiing. He's probably got a private plane floating around somewhere and a launch and he was probably sitting out on the Hodaki Golf in the week laughing at the Italians from his 30 metre launch, right? He was very, very wealthy. Um, and so here's a guy, here's a guy that has, his job means that people hate him and then his wealth sets him apart so far from the everyday life of everyone else that they can't help but despise this guy. He's a guy that is rejected from society. And, and some of the things I understand about Zacchaeus in that context is that he would be so rejected that he would not be welcome in this gathering. 
right? So we're at church, and it would be like, I'm sorry, mate, you just cannot come in here. Like, you're just not on the same wavelength as us. We just don't want to know about you. Just leave. So here is Zacchaeus, and he is rejected. Let's go on to the next verse, verse 3. It says this, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, it's not mentioned in the text, but you could imagine that if Zacchaeus is already loathed by everyone, that there would be a compounding effect by having something that he can't change about himself that people might like, look at him differently because, right? And, and we understand that you know, there's things that you can control, like your job. So he could choose not to be a tax collector. He could choose not to be a chief tax collector. He could choose not to be super wealthy and he could give some of his money away. But there's things in your life that you can't necessarily control. And it could be things like your, your skin color. It could be your height. It could be something else that's not necessarily within your realm to control. But it can lead, unfortunately, in life to some sort of rejection. And I have to say categorically right now, that's not okay. Um, don't be rejecting people for that sort of stuff. Um, but the, you could understand that from Zach's Zacchaeus's perspective, in addition to the fact that people already hate him and don't welcome him into their, their gatherings because of what he does and who he is, then there's probably even some, some added insecurity and some feelings of res, uh, rejection in there that come from the fact that he's like a little bit different. And so when you put that into context, here's a guy now that um, he's probably got a fair bit going on in his head, Right? He knows that no one likes him, and he's having to deal with that sense of rejection every day of his life. And he's probably looked around for approval from people and really struggled to find it. And then there's this guy, Jesus, comes into town, and he's been hearing all sorts of things about this Jesus guy. And there's crowds thronging around him, and he's heard things about like other tax collectors that Jesus come and used and, and given them hope for their life, and he's turned their lives around. And all of a sudden, he starts to get a little bit curious about what this Jesus guy is about. should be worth checking out. So, verse 4, he runs ahead and climbs a sycamore fig tree to see him, see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, what do we understand about this? Running in Jewish culture means that you're being undignified. It's not cool for a dude to run with his, like, robes on because he might show his legs, like I am, um, and it's not a good look, right? You, you act with decorum, you know? You walk sedately around, you look wise, you look settled and that sort of stuff. But for a man to run, unacceptable, undignified, completely out of the question. And then to make things even more weird and intense, he climbs a tree. So not only can people see his ankles, you know, when he's running, but then he climbs a tree. I'm sure people got a view of a whole lot more that they didn't really want to see, right? It's like, bro, what are you doing? But apparently, climbing a tree was something that was reserved for sort of like the, the servants and the slaves and stuff like that. If you were a man of stature, like a chief tax collector who was incredibly wealthy, you just don't do that. You don't run. You don't climb a tree. That's just completely out of the question. And it's really interesting because when you look through the Bible, and most of you here will be reading the Bible, you'll understand that there are uh, quite a few instances where for, um, for people to get close to God and to have a transformational moment in their life, they have to do something that's a little bit out of the norm, right? They have to do something that's undignified or unconventional in order to get close to God. And the, the, the couple that um, spring to mind immediately are things like the woman with the issue of blood who reaches out and touches Jesus' robe as he walks past. Like, that's not, you don't do that. You know, you want to be sitting down at, like, town mouse and just like, well, Jesus just said, grab his coat as he goes past. Like, you don't do that. That's, like, not cool, right? Um, and the other one that um, 
uh, springs to mind is the, the instance of the dude that needs healing, like he's, I think he's crippled, paralyzed, and his friends like make a hole in the roof of a house and lower him down through it just so he can get in front of Jesus, right? And it requires something in that moment different to happen in order to people to get their moment with Jesus to get like their lives transformed, right? And so we've got Zacchaeus, and he's positioning himself by running and climbing a tree, doing something completely undignified and unconventional. He's positioning himself, whether he knows it or not, to get in front of Jesus, to get a glimpse of him, and who knows what can happen from that moment. And I guess the challenge for us is that if we ever need anything to happen in our lives where we want God to move, is that maybe we need to stretch out and do something a little bit different. And Craig was sort of alluding to it before, is that sometimes if we're coming into a moment of worship and we're man, God, I need you to, to do something really special, then it's probably not going to cut it to sit back and like clap and not sing there too loudly or just like sing within my vocal range so I don't... You know. Like, it might require something different. It might require us to run from our seat down the front and get on our knees. It might require us in a different part of, of our life to make an offering. It might require us to serve in a different way. It might require us to do some fasting. It might require us to just do something that is not inside our lanes to say, actually, I'm so serious. I need this so bad. I have to stretch out. I have to get undignified. I have to do something different than what... I feel is normal, right? And, and I have to encourage you that God is a really, really good God. If you haven't got that yet, then this is me telling you right now. God's a really, really good God. And if he sees you going, man, I want you, God, I'm getting out of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to give up all my money. I'm going to put it into this charity. Or I'm going to fast for a couple of weeks because I just so desperately need a breakthrough, God. Or I'm going to get up every morning at 5 a.m. and pray for an hour because I just need a touch of you. He's not going to go, oh, that's cool, well done. But he's going to meet you, and it may not be in the place or time you expect it, but he's going to meet you, and he'll answer your prayers, and he'll, he'll, he'll take you and transform you. It's just like, it's a thing. It happens in the Bible. There's evidence, right? So you've got to get into it. You've got to do something that's intentional, undignified, maybe unconventional, but gets you ready to receive what God wants to do in your life. This comes to the next verse, verse 5. So by this time, Zacchaeus, the most despised guy in town, not allowed to be in the pub with everyone else on a Friday night. He's run, he's got undignified, he's climbed a tree in order to see Jesus. And he gets to verse 5. Jesus reaches the spot. He looks up to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus looks up to him, and I'd imagine there's thousands of people around all strangers. It's not like Jesus has been there before. It's not like he's got like Facebook open and checking people's photos or anything like that. Completely random environment to him, foreign environment to him. And he looks up and he calls Zacchaeus. And you know, he's, it's by name. It's not like, hey, you up there in the tree, random dude, why are you like showing me too much of your leg? <laughs> it's not like that. It's like, hey, Zacchaeus, get down out of the tree immediately. And I think that we need to understand that this is something we can take from this, is that Jesus knows us, right? He knows you by name. I looked up the other day, blew my mind, I thought we were at 6 billion, but there's 7.8 billion people living on the planet. That's a lot of people, but the, the truth that I know from what I read in the Bible is that Jesus knows you, and he knows me by name, he knows everything about us, he knows every hair on your head, and he knows the things that he's got in store for you, the plans, the purposes, and stuff like that, and he knows you, and he wants you to be in a relationship with him, and I think that's very exciting. The other thing we take from this is that Jesus wanted to hang out with the most unpopular guy in town. Everyone around is like, what? All, all the people that were at the temple kicking Zacchaeus out, Jesus goes, Zacchaeus, come down to the tree, come to your house for dinner. Everyone's like, but, 
But I've been going to church for like 10 years, man. Like every Sunday, morning and night, go to Connect Group. Like, I'm really good. Why, why, why is Jesus not coming to my house? I paid my tithes. I served. Like, what's going on? I feel left out. I'm indignant. Got my indignant face on. Like, this is not fair. This is not what I signed up for when I went to church. What we forget sometimes is that Jesus didn't come for the healthy people. He didn't come for the good people. I've been good. Yeah, that's cool. Jesus came for the, the sinners and the sick people. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to do something really different. And, and so we shouldn't get too caught up on that. But interesting, verse 6 and 7. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Great, eh? Would you, I'd be the, I'd, I'd, like, in all honesty, I'd probably be doing that as well. I was like, you know what? I've been in this church for years. I always sit in that front row. That's my seat, you know? Like, people know. They keep... Jake's in my seat this morning. Oh. <laughs> this is my space. How come Jesus is going to someone else's house? Man. And you would feel like that, right? If you felt like you'd been like laying it out time and time again, then you'd feel like that. But I think there's a lesson in this for us, is that Jesus doesn't come to save the people that think they've got it all together. He comes to save the people who realize that they've still got a long way to go. And I think one of the most dangerous things that I could do, and I'm going to speak to me instead of all of you, but you can partake of this one if you like. The most dangerous thing I can do is think that I've got it all together and forget that I still need Jesus every day of my life. Right? I'm saved, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm not a finished work, Right? And, and, and the most dangerous thing that I, we, we could do is get comfy and think, man, we've got Christianity nailed. <laughs> we've got it good, man. We're, we've got this thing sorted out. But actually, we have to come like every Sunday morning ready to worship because we need Jesus so badly to step into our lives, right? We have to be aware of the fact that I am like one step away from screwing up and, and being exactly who I was 10 years ago. It's only by the grace of God that I can move forward, right? And I have to be humble and ready to receive that every day of the life. And so in order to do that, I have to make a decision and a personal choice to not be the muttering one who's indignant because Jesus is going to someone else's house. I have to be like ready to say, God, I need you so bad right now. And the chance that who actually just come to my place and we'll have some tacos and it'll be cool, right? Anyway, Zacchaeus comes down to the tree and there's an immediate transformation. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. He comes down to the tree and, and, and things have changed, right? There's a guy, um, an old dude, I think he's probably dead by now because he's quite old. His name was D.L. Moody. And he put it like this. Says, no one could predict that when Zacchaeus climbed the tree that his life was about to change. But in the time it took him to get out of the tree... And down to the ground, his whole world had been transformed. Now, I don't know how long that is, but what that says to me is that in that very short space of time, and I'd imagine it was short because Jesus is saying, hey, get down out of the tree immediately. He's like, yes, sir, I will jump. You know? <laughs> and it might be a couple of seconds, but it's a very, very brief amount of time that his whole world was changed. Um, and I think what that says to me is that for you and me, in our everyday, that in an instant, God can change us for the better. We don't have to be in church for 10 years for God to do something. We can be in church for one morning or a couple of minutes, and we have an encounter with God, and everything's different, right? And that's why you cannot, and we're going to come back to it again now, you cannot forsake coming to church ready to worship, because in an instant, in a moment of worship, or in an altar call up here, or one sentence that Pastor Craig utters in his message, everything could transform for you. You just have to be ready, you have to be stretched out, you have to be undignified, you have to be a little bit unconventional in order to get ready for it, but God in a moment will flip things on its head for you. Very, very important. How do we know this? Because I haven't read you anything about 
um, how he's changed yet. He's just he's got out of a tree, right? How do we know that Zacchaeus is transformed? Easy evidence. The next verse says this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. What? And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Man, here's a dude that moments earlier was the most hated dude in town because all he ever did was take, 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 and he showed it because he was wealthy. And then in an instance, in the time it took for him to get out of a tree and onto the ground, something so dramatic, so radical has happened in his life that instead of taking, he's like, here, take it all, everything, half of everything i got, here you go, take it. Yep, if I took anything on you, yep, four times, you know. And there were rules about how you do reparation, right? It would be like, now you get a oh, fine. If you took too much money, there's a fine or whatever. He's like, no, not, I'm just not going to repay you. I'm not just going to double what I took away from you. I'm not just triple. No, four times what I took from you, I'm going to pay back to you. And what can we take from that? That's radical, extravagant transformation in someone's life, right? And that's, that's not um, trying to get God's approval. It's not saying, I have to do this in order for you to save me and transform me, Jesus. That's actually saying, because of what you've done in my life and the time it took me to get out of the tree onto the ground, I'm so appreciative. I'm so grateful for what you've done, Jesus, that here, my life has changed. Take it all. That's amazing stuff, right? Um, and, and I think that's the thing, is that when we see the extravagant love of God at work in our life, then the response from us is not in order to get approval, because we're already approved, we're already accepted, but the response from us is an outpouring of gratitude and gratefulness, like, God, you're so good, and because of that, my life is after you, and that's the evidence of transformation, right? And, and I just think there's such a challenge for us, as I know that it's a real easy habit to get into in church life, is to say that, if I do this, then I'm going to get that. If I show up to church, I'm going to get that. If I give a massive offering, I'm going to get that. And, and there's a whole thing about, you know, like preaching that you can get stuff when you do this. It's, it's, that's the wrong way around, man. Jesus does it, and out of response to that, there's an outpouring, right? It's an incredible sort of thing. And, and I hope that we, we, you know, you don't miss what I'm saying here, but actually because it's because we're accepted by God that things change, right? We can, we can see ourselves as being rejected, but we're accepted by him nonetheless. And, and I think that's an incredible sort of thing. Um, it, it sort of means that regardless of what I've done in my life, and, and I don't know about you, but I have these moments every now and then, and I had a good chat with um, Pastor Brent Levis the other week when he was here. And I, I said to him, I was like, man, there's these things that have happened in the past, and I know they're in the past, right? Because I addressed them at the time. But there's things that have happened in my life, and I look at them and go, man, that was bad. What was I thinking? And I don't know if you're like that, but you know, every now and then you have these moments like, what was I on, man? And some of it's in this place, you know, and like misintention and that sort of stuff. And I look at you like, Dave, like, in yourself, you should be ashamed of yourself. And it's only because I know that regardless of what I've done, God's accepted me that I can pick up my head and get on and keep going for God, right? It's only because of what he's done on the inside of me that there's any sort of strength to carry on. And I think that's a powerful thing. And I think that's the same for every person here this morning. You know, there'll be things in your life guaranteed, and it may be small things, it may be big things, that you look at it and you go, man, I deserve rejection for that. Like, there is no way that I could be accepted for that. If people knew that, that I'd done that, man, I would not be coming back. I'd never be getting any jobs again. I'd be locked up in a cell. I don't know what it is for you, but, you know, the, the thing that we have to understand every day, every minute of every day, is that regardless of that, Jesus accepts us. 
he accepts us. And, and it may not be real for you just yet, but I've got to tell you that there's a moment going to come in a few seconds where actually you can do something about it. And it may be that you've been in church for a long time, you think that you've got this whole thing down, but actually, you know, like I say, you can get indignant because you feel like you're being left out, but you've actually missed the fact that Jesus came for sinners and sick people, not healthy, whole people, or not healthy and rich people. Um, but we all need to be able to realize that we need Jesus in our everyday. We have to be ready to say, yeah, what I've done deserves rejection, but I need your acceptance, God, and I need to do something undignified, unconventional, a little bit outside of my comfort zone in order to get closer to you, to position myself so that you can move in my life and transform me. Jesus said in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. It's a pretty powerful sort of thing. He came to seek and save the lost, not the people who were found and comfy, but the people who knew that they weren't quite there yet and they needed something different. And I just want you to close your eyes where you are this morning. And just for a moment, consider God and how good he is. And how regardless of how bad we screw up, how much bad stuff we've done that we're doing at the moment that we'll probably do tomorrow because we're humans, that regardless of all that, He loves us and He accepts us and He washes it away. And I want to offer you this morning, this moment, just a, a brief moment. That if you like-